I'm Michael Ashcroft, the founder of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and this is the Ashcroft in America podcast. One of the things that makes American politics so enthralling is that you're never far from an election. In just over 20 months' time, voters will decide whether to give President Trump another four years in the White House. And I'm delighted to be talking to someone we're going to be hearing a lot more between now and then the National Press Secretary for the Trump campaign, Kayleigh McEnany. Kayleigh, thanks very much for indeed for taking the time to speak to me. And, you know, it still feels quite early days for a re-election campaign to be getting underway. What does a presidential campaign look like at this stage, nearly two years out? Well, what I can tell you is this operation is light years ahead of any prior presidential campaign. We have named our campaign manager earlier than ever. The president declared his reelect earlier than ever. This is a historic operation that has been put into effect with the corporate structure. We just announced our senior staff, and right now we're in the staffing up process. It's exciting. It's exciting that we're ahead of the game. It's exciting that we're breaking fundraising records, and you know we're moving forward at lightning pace. Well, thinking back to the last campaign, you were a close observer and regular commentator on CNN. Do you think there was a decisive moment that turned things around in Donald Trump's favor, or do you think he was on course to win from the time that he announced? Yeah, at the time, I think candidate Trump was on pace to win from the very beginning. Immediately, I can tell you that the conservative base found their hero. They found someone that they found to be authentic, that spoke from the heart, that wasn't scripted, that wasn't a mannequin politician like every iteration that had come before him, really on either side of the aisle. They recognized that they could trust this individual, that they could trust someone who made promises to actually materialize them and stay true to them while in office. And I think from the moment he declared, he was on a chart upward. And we saw that happen relatively quickly as he really managed to take down the top contenders in the poll in the Republican primary one by one and become the nominee with more votes than any nominee in the history of our party. Pretty extraordinary achievement. People all over the world could tell you the 2016 Trump campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. How far is he going to claim to achieve that aim by 2020? Yeah, I think, you know, moving forward, it's it's keep America great. He's achieved so much and he's not stopping. He has a keen focus on achieving for the American people on every front. He's unstoppable every day. It's something new that he's focusing on. But I think the results speak for themselves. There's been a turn in the economy. Wages growing at the fastest pace they have in 10 years. The unemployment numbers continually notching new records. He's tackling issues prior presidents have not, like remedying our trade imbalances across the globe, taking on and bettering our relationship with North Korea and a move towards denuclearization, recognizing a freedom-loving democracy in Venezuela. He's taking actions no prior president has, and that's not to mention historic criminal justice reform and many others. So I think he, he is well able to say he is keeping America great and making it even greater over the next four years if the American people, and I think that they will, empower him to lead. Many people say that one of the defining characteristics of President Trump is his unpredictability, which makes life interesting, but can't make your job any easier. Or is his unpredictability really all part of a carefully 
worked out plan. You know, the president, I, I think he takes counsel from many folks and he goes in the direction that, that he'd like to go in. He has a good gut. It's our job to follow his lead. And it makes my job easy because when you have a record of achievement like the litany I just described, it's easy to tout the president's record. It's easy to follow his lead because I, like the Republican base and like so many others, trust his instincts and trust the decisions he's making. So we at the campaign, we follow his lead. And I'd say I have a pretty easy job, a pretty exciting one because I have a great boss. There's a story about John Major, a former British prime minister, that his staff once reprimanded him for being off message. And he replied, how could I be? I am the message. Would we be right in thinking President Trump has much the same approach? Or is he good at taking advice, which you've just said? Yeah, you know, as I, as I mentioned, he takes the counsel of those around him. He likes hearing alternative points of views, but he goes with his gut, no doubt about it. But you're exactly right to say he is the message. He is the one who had the vision that got him the most votes of any nominee in our party. He is the one who had the vision that has got him the highest approval ratings of any president in modern history within his own party, with one exception, and that was Bush during 9-11. And you look at the Gallup poll among Republicans, it's consistently 80, much higher than 80, close to 90% approval month to month and that tracking poll. So he, he is the message. And our party has sent a resounding message. This is our nominee. This is our president. And, and they reward him with high approval. Ever since the 2016 campaign, it's been a continuing theme for President Trump that you can't trust the mainstream media. Does that make life difficult for you as his campaign press secretary? How are relationships between the campaign and the media at this early stage? Right. We have good relationships. Of course, I think you can't deny the facts. And the facts are, as my alma mater, Harvard, found, you know, the first hundred days of the Trump presidency was historic negative coverage. There's so much unfairness so much false reporting, and the president's not given a fair shake, but we engage with the media, that's what we're supposed to do on the press shop, uh, but we engage knowing the study after study that shows the historic negative coverage, the unfair chirons, and the litany of false reporting that we've seen. Just moving on a bit, since the last campaign, there's been a lot of talk about Russian interference, fake news, exploitation of personal data, and all the rest of it. Whatever the truth of the various stories, do you think people are becoming more wary and skeptical about what they read and hear about politics in the States? And if so, how can you overcome that in a way the campaign communicates? Yeah, there's no doubt that people are skeptical of the news media. Reporting shows that approval shows, approval numbers, polling shows that there's a skepticism of what people are listening to when it's filtered through cable news and elsewhere, print reporting. But, you know, this is why I say it's so important for the people to see the president unfiltered, speaking directly to the American people without the filter of the media. And to give you some interesting polling uh, that we found on the campaign side, swing voters of, of our sample who watch the State of the Union unfiltered, watch the president's direct words. We saw a double digit rise in approval among swing voters who just directly watched the president. There's a lower number for those who watched the media reporting of what the president said. That is proof to us of our strategy moving forward. The president unfiltered wins the day at rallies and speeches, talking directly to the American people. And we're convinced when the American people see the president out there unfiltered, he's going to win the day. In, in large numbers, much like Reagan going into the 2020 election. Most of the attention at the moment is on the intriguing question of who the Democrats will nominate as their candidate. 
What kind of candidate do you think the party is in the mood to nominate from the Democratic side? A socialist. It's pretty clear. You look at the fact that just eight years ago, what the Democratic contenders were saying then versus now, and it's striking. As you'll recall, President Obama would say over and over, if you like your health care, you can keep it. There is a recognition that there's a place for private insurance. Now you're hard-pressed to find a single candidate who says that. The order of the day is government-run health care. Likewise, on the abortion debate, infanticide, we've heard that being articulated word for word from the governor of Virginia. And we haven't heard a strong rallying cry from Democrats to come out against that. It's horrifying how far the Democratic Party has come. The left is ruling the day, the extreme left, and socialism is the order of the day. Radical policies, radical socialism. And I think it told you all you needed to know when the president said during a State of the Union, America will never be a socialist country. And there were a long number of Democrats who sat there refusing to applaud the notion that we are a capitalist country. I'm sure you won't want to name names, by all means do so if you like, but what kind of Democratic opponent do you think would give give you the toughest job? I don't think that a single one would. And I, I began this interview because at the beginning of the interview, I listed off some of the president's successes, and, and that was a fraction of what he's achieved. And I can tell you, when you're standing up to results like that, there's not going to be a single Democrat that can go toe-to-toe with the president. It's much like back in the Reagan era where where Reagan asked voters. He said, are you better off today than you were four years ago? And when that question is asked to voters, the answer is yes. You can't compete with results. You can't compete with the feeling Americans are feeling in their everyday lives, which is more access to the American dream, more freedom, constitution-abiding judges on the court. You can't argue with results. And I don't think any any Democrat can go toe-to-toe with President Trump. I mean, there is a theory which is supported by my own research that Democrats could end up choosing, as you've just said, quite a left-wing candidate, just as the Labour Party have done with Jeremy Corbyn in the UK. But one lesson from the British experience is that at the general election, Corbyn came a lot closer to winning than anyone expected, probably including himself. Is there a danger of underestimating the potential appeal of a charismatic, radical alternative to President Trump? No, because we're not underestimating the fight we have ahead. This campaign operation that Brad Parscale has put in place, this historic operation, should tell you all you need to know that we are taking this very seriously, that we will be litigating the case for the president on a national stage. We're not taking anything for granted. We're going to fight this fight against whoever it is, and we're ready to do that. And we know we're on the right side of the argument. We know we have the winning argument, but we have to fight every day between now and between the 2020 election. I regularly find in my research that around a third of Trump voters from 2016 say they were mainly voting against Hillary Clinton and picking the lesser of two evils. Doesn't it follow that if the Democrats pick someone more appealing than Clinton, which ought not to be that hard given her popularity ratings at the time, the president might have some difficulty? I don't think so. And here's why. You know, the voters who swung the 2016 election were in large part voters in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, blue collar factory workers, JFK era Democrats who said, I'm going to give President Trump a chance. I've talked to some of those factory workers and I can tell you, and I've, I've spoken to them even more recently, they recognize that this president has brought jobs back, that he's brought security to manufacturing, that he's fought for the American people, he's fought for the blue collar worker, and they see those results on the ground. 
So I think those voters, there's a, a long list of Democratic voters, JFK Democratic voters who have been left behind by the Democratic Party, gave President Trump a chance. And in just two years, he's proven that he's up for the task. And I think that we have a lot of Democratic voters who are now identifying as Republicans because of President Trump. So, no, I, I'm not at all concerned about that moving forward. How seriously are you taking the prospect of a high-profile, independent or bipartisan candidate, especially if the Democrats nominate someone on the radical left? Is there an opening for a centrist ticket to claim its best place to unify the country? Well, I don't think it'll be a centrist ticket. I think it'll still be a liberal one. But look, yeah, absolutely. You've seen Howard Schultz come out and say, I can't stand with this Socialist Democratic Party. He's still a liberal, make no doubt about it. But should they nominate a far left socialist, they're going to have a real problem on their hands because I do think you might have someone who comes out, poses a challenge and fractures that Democratic Party. Aside from the opponent you end up facing, what do you think are the biggest obstacles or challenges that President Trump and his campaign have to overcome for that second term? Breaking through the filter of the mainstream media, which is is my job here as press secretary. We're dealing with a media that, as I noted, even my alma mater, not a right-wing source, Harvard, noted the negative coverage. So it's my job to break through that to get on offense. It's our our communications director, Tim Murtaugh's job. That's the challenge that we have lying ahead, is making sure the American people have unfiltered access to what the president wants to share with them. We're going to do it, but it's going to be a tough job. The start of 2019 has obviously been dominated by the government shutdown. The president says this was down to the Democrats in Congress refusing to fund the border wall. But it could be pointed out that No more progress was made on that while the House was under Republican control. What part do you expect relations with Congress to play in the campaign as it unfolds? I actually think it's very important. Here's why. This president began this year with a State of the Union that was quite brilliant. First, he exposed the radicalism of Democrats, as I noted earlier. But secondly, he extended olive branches throughout that speech, olive branches on infrastructure, olive branches on bringing down the high cost of prescription drugs, areas where we can work together and have bipartisan achievement. One example of that was bipartisan criminal justice reform, the first step back, which was passed at the end of last year. In extending those offers, President Trump showed himself to be a compromiser, someone who will never compromise on principle, but where it's possible is willing to engage in bipartisan reform. He showed that through the government shutdown debate when he routinely said, you know, we can move from concrete to steel slats if that's where the hangup is. He showed himself as someone willing to make compromise. There's some polling that's reflected that the people saw him as the compromiser in the room during that interaction. So I think relations with Congress will show this is a president who's been true to his base, not caving on principle, but where possible has tried to achieve bipartisanship in the face of an obstructing Congress completely run by Nancy Pelosi. So far, the president has benefited from a strong economy and his supporters have certainly given him the credit for that. Doesn't that leave him vulnerable if the economic cycle takes a turn for the worse before the 2020 election? I don't foresee the economy changing at all. The fundamentals of this economy are strong. Every day there's some new news, like more job openings than people looking for work, wages, GDP. This president's breaking records. The economy, I don't see that changing because business owners know that they have a a free market capitalist in the White House They know that they have someone that they can invest in their employees, they can invest in wage growth, and they know that this is a president that's going to allow uninhibited growth, deregulation, allowing businesses to grow so they can reinvest in employees and employees can see their wages go up. 
In 2016, Donald Trump's largely unexpected wins in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania turned out to be the key to victory. Do you think we're going to look at similar battleground this time around, or do you see your campaign targeting states that Hillary Clinton won in 2016? Both. It's certainly important to keep Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. We'll be making strong arguments in those states, but we want to expand the map. I don't want to get into state by state where we're targeting, but we want to expand the map, and we're, we're certain we can. This is a president who has achieved a lot, uh, according to Heritage Foundation, outpacing Ronald Reagan in achieving the conservative agenda. And you know, Ronald Reagan went on to win 49 states, so we're looking to expand the map. And finally, in the last election, the Trump campaign had the feel of an insurgency taking on the established players and knocking them all over the park. And by any measure, the tone was pretty rancorous. Once he's campaigning as the incumbent this time, do you think we can expect a more unifying message to try and bring the country together behind him? Or are we in for more of the same? I think it's going to be two things. One, this president is going to go toe-to-toe and articulate his argument for the American people against his Democratic opponent. He's a counterpuncher. If he's attacked, he will fight back. Nevertheless, absolutely, I think you're going to hear the unifying theme that you heard in the State of the Union, which is that this president has benefited all Americans, provided access to the American dream for all Americans, historic low African-American Hispanic unemployment. He has opened up access in this economy like we haven't seen before. So you're going to see a unifying message to the American people, but you're also going to see a president that fights back when he's attacked against the media, against his Democratic opponents. Well, speaking as an outsider, it's a campaign that promises to be every bit as fascinating as the last. And Kaylee, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to speak to the UK audience. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.